It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast, and I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service on July 11th, and the title of today's message is All Things to All Men. This message is a continuation of a series we've been in for the last several weeks, God with Us with Others. And we're just learning how to live in the truth of the incarnation, how we can step into the world of other people and love them right where they're at, in the same way that Jesus entered into our world. So today we're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, where he talks about being all things to all men. And we're going to find out what this actually means. Also, I just want to mention that Saturday we began our bag hunger outreach in Covington. We distributed 300 bags, which we're going to be picking up this Saturday, hopefully filled with food to deliver to the Covington Food Bank. So if you happen to be out in the Covington area, you can drop by the church at 9 o'clock and we'll be sending some teams out to do that uh, as we try to be a blessing to the city. So check that out. Don't forget to visit us on the web at northshorevineyard.org. Thanks for listening. As I said, I don't have a good um, segue into the message, but um, I'm going to recap where we've been the last few weeks. I, I said about four weeks ago that we're going to be looking into kind of an overlooked aspect of Christianity. I think it's something that particularly the American church, a, a, lot, of, a lot of folks have missed, and it's, it's, it's the truth of the incarnation of Jesus I think the American church for some time has been known for what we believe, what we're against, but oftentimes people fail to see what that actually looks like. You know, they fail to see what love looks like in action, and, and that's the incarnation. So the fundamental scripture I, I, I kind of started off with several weeks ago was John uh, 1.14. And John starts off his gospel in the 14th verse. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson uh, puts it like this in the message. He says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does this mean? This is fundamental to John's gospel. He starts it off by saying, God loves us by moving into our world, moving into the world where we live. He doesn't love us from a distance. He doesn't love us in word only, but he loves us by stepping into our world. And so Jesus spent, as I said last week, he spent 90% of his earthly ministry doing what? Just entering into our world, just living where we live, just loving people on their terms. And then the last 10% of his, his life was the, the actual public ministry. Well, that ought to say something to us as Christ followers. If we're going to choose the path of Jesus, then we can't just let it be a, a system of beliefs. It's got to be the way that we live our life. St. Francis of Assisi, I love his, his quote. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. <laughs> you know, that's what Jesus did for the first 30 years of his life. He was preaching something about God. He was, I, I love, I love that the, the John uses the word became flesh. To me, that's like God has something to say. He's got a word to say to humanity. And how does he do it? He does it by putting flesh on that word. <laughs> a message that is embodied in Jesus. You know, it's said that 90% of communication is nonverbal. 
You realize that? 90% of communication is nonverbal. So guys, when you come home and your wife may look a little distraught and you say, honey, is there something wrong? And she said, nothing, everything's fine. That means if you just say, oh, okay, I was just checking and you walk out of the room, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> because she's communicating to you with her, her posture, her tone of voice, uh, the look on her face. There's all kinds of things. And, and sometimes guys aren't the best at picking up on nonverbals. But 90% of communication is nonverbal. And this ought to be very scary to us as Christians. 90% of communication is nonverbal. I think this is why we are, you know, the, the largest group, uh, statistics have shown in the last few years, the largest group when they uh, do surveys... Of, of religious categories in the country, the, large, the, the group that is growing the fastest right now is non-believers. For the first time in the history of America, in the last 10 years, the, the, largest, the, the group that is growing the quickest is not Christians, Muslims, Jews, Mormons. It's non-believers, people who just have, don't, don't believe in God at all. And I think a lot of this is due to the disconnect between what Christians say on the one hand, and then what their life communicates on the other hand, the nonverbal. <laughs> we say a lot of things. We're, 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 we're really good at, at, at speaking, telling people our opinion. But our lives don't say that we love people. Our nonverbals don't say that we love people. We say God is love. God so loved the world. He gave his only son. But our lives say something different. See, you got to realize that your life is speaking all the time, whether you realize it or not. And I, I've seen this when I was in college ministry. There was kids that, the, the kids that absolutely turned out to be the, the worst kids in college, I mean, just went off into the deep end, were, the, were a lot of times kids who grew up in the church. And I think they saw a disconnect between what people said and what they actually, how they actually lived. And they just said, I don't want anything to do with that. It's fake. It's phony. So today I want to look at, a, at, at, at perhaps another, you know, we've been talking about this idea. If we're going to be incarnational people like Jesus, then we've got to learn how to step into the world of others. We've got to learn how to love them on their own terms. So last week we talked about listening. Anybody had fun trying to listen this week? Anybody get any chances to exercise communication skills? Man, I did. Some of y'all were thinking right after church I probably got in a fight for some of the things I said. <laughs> I had ample opportunity this week to, to try to practice uh, what we talked about last week. So we talked about loving people by listening to them, uh, trying to understand them. Today I want to take that idea a step further, and we looked at the words of Paul. So the text that we're going to look at today is 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. The apostles writing a letter to a, a church he had planted in Corinth, and uh, this is just one part, it's a very large letter, but he says this in verse 19, he says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. Now, <laughs> that's kind of a confusing sentence. Paul has a lot of these confusing sentences. What Paul's saying, he's not talking about 
like civic law. He's talking about when he says law, all the time when Paul's talking about the law, he's talking about the Torah, the Old Testament law, okay? So just so you know that. Then he goes on in verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. He would have failed English like on run-on run, run on sentences. Then he goes on in verse 22. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. These are some, some of the greatest verses out of Paul's writings about incarnational ministry, about entering into the world of others. There's two things that, that these scriptures talk about right off the get-go, freedom and love. Now, Paul doesn't specifically mention the word love, but you can see the concept of love. He says, though I am free, I choose not to use that freedom in a selfish way, but I put my own freedom aside and I become a slave of other people. Now, he wasn't talking about a literal slave, but he said, I put my own freedom down because I love other people and I want them to encounter Jesus and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I will be all things to all people to see that that can happen. Now, what Paul gets at on, on the idea of freedom here, we, we tend to think of freedom here in America as like, you got rights, don't we? You know, I'm proud to be an American. Or at least I know I'm free. Okay, I'm not going to go any further. <laughs> but I, I know so many times Christians are known for fighting for our rights. We got the right to put the Ten Commandments up on that courthouse. We got the right to pray at a, rally, you know, at, at, a, at a football game or a commencement address. We got the right, and we demand those things. But what Paul's saying here is, dude, it's not about your own personal rights. He said it's about loving people. It's, you're not just free just so you can be free, as if your freedom was the only point. You were free to serve. See, Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you from being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. So freedom is not merely freedom, but it's freedom to serve. You're not freed just from something. You're freed to something. And that's, if you miss that point about Christianity, you're going to make it all about you, and that's the point when your spirituality just stops growing. I, I, I've made this, this um, statement a few times here in the last couple of months, and I think if we get a church bumper sticker, this is what it'll say. You are not the point. You are a point. You are not the point of everything that God did. You are a point. You're a point in a long line of what God is trying to do. And if you ever start thinking you're the point of all this, that's the moment you stop growing in Christ. That's the moment you start becoming arrogant. That's the moment you start thinking that, that everything, that you're the center of God's universe. You are not the center of God's universe. God is the center of God's universe. So our freedom in Christ is not an end in itself. It's always looking to expand. And so that's what Paul's saying. He says, I, I'm free. What Jesus has done in me, he's freed me from the, the label of Jew, of, of my 
cultural thing. He's freed me from all the, all the ways that, that society has classified me. Now my only identifier that matters is Jesus. But even though that's the truth, I'm going to seek to connect with people right where they're at. So what is this idea of all things to all men? Have you ever heard that verse before, anybody in here? I'll become all things to all men. I don't know about you, but I've kind of thought of this verse sometimes as being like uh, kind of an odd verse. Like you just try to find out what people like and you do that. You ever done that before? Yeah, I know there's, uh, there's programs, reality shows, there's books, there's internet things about how to pick up chicks, you know, <laughs> and they're basically, if you, if you walk into a bar and you see a lady, then, then you just, uh, you want to pick her up, you, you, you read this manual and you follow through these steps. This is what girls like, so you say this thing to her. And then you wear this kind of cologne and you project this kind of thing. But I figure most women, if they figure out you're trying to do a little playbook here, how much is that going to endear them to really loving you? Why? Because it's not you. It betrays authenticity. Is that what Paul's getting at here? He's not saying become something that you're not, but he's saying be all things to all men. You know, there was another fine parable in Hollywood that came out a few years ago called What Women Want. Mel Gibson, anybody familiar with that movie? I know it's Floyd's favorite. Uh, But Mel Gibson in this movie, he... He's this guy who, he's got a teenage daughter he's having troubles connecting with, he's divorced his wife, he works for a lady that, you know, he's just having problems with connecting with a whole lot of ladies in his life, and then he has an accident with a blow dryer one night, and it gives him supernatural powers. And now he can hear the thoughts of women. Scary. (laughs) And so what does Mel Gibson do? He does what any guy would do. He abuses that power. (laughs) He takes the knowledge of of hearing the thoughts of women, and he starts to manipulate situations to his own advantage, specifically when it comes to love. He's like, ah, I like this lady. Well, I'll just be everything that she wants me to be. Well, that's, that's not really genuine, is it? That's manipulation. That's control. That's faking it. And I think if, if we ever, if you've ever had anybody do that to you before, it just feels icky. You know, it's like, ah, you know, I thought this person liked me. I thought we were connecting. Now, now I find out they just weren't into anything I'm into. They were just saying things that they thought that I liked. Unfortunately, I think the church has actually taken, taken these verses of Paul to mean that. Like, hey, you know, I, people like Starbucks coffee. We're going to serve Starbucks coffee. People like contemporary music. We're going to get a drummer. That's not what he's going for. Not like there's anything wrong with Starbucks or anything. Or drummers. (laughs) Or drummers who drink Starbucks. All things to all men is not faking it. It's not manipulating people. All things to all men is identifying God's redemption in our own stories and connecting with other people from those points. See, Paul, he lists several things here. His ethnicity as a Jew, his Jewish religion. He mentions people without the law, Gentiles. And then he mentions those who are weak. And he says, I've learned how to connect with all these people. How does he do that? Well, Because Paul grew up as a Jew. That was his culture. That was his ethnicity. That's the world he grew up in. 
And so now that he's in Christ, that's not a big deal anymore. His culture, you know, that he grew up in, that's not the prime identifier. But Paul's saying, even though the main identifier of my life is Christianity, I don't, I don't push my freedom in Christ. You know, I don't let that be a barrier to those who grew up ethnically Jews. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying, you know, and we can see from his example that he would often go to the synagogues where the Jews were. He'd, he'd participate with them in their worship service. He wouldn't push bacon on them. You know? That'd be hard, you know? Paul wasn't, Paul wasn't saying, you know, oh, man, there's this amazing stuff that you guys have been missing out on called bacon. And uh, if you could just try it, freedom in Christ allows you to have this. He didn't do that. Paul would connect with them right where they were because he'd been there. Now, oftentimes when he's in the synagogue, they'd ask him what he believed, and he would say, well, everything in the Old, Old Testament, the Old Covenant, all that stuff that God was doing with Abraham and Moses and David, that was all pointing towards Jesus. And now you can experience the fulfillment of that. He would tell him that, and that's why Paul often got run out of synagogues. But he would connect, he would put his freedom down so he could connect with people who are Jewish ethnically. Then there was the, the question, he said, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. Now, Paul was the biggest proponent of saved by grace, not by works. It's not, it's not fulfilling, you know, going by the law that saves you. It's Jesus. But yet, he says, to those under the law, I put aside my things. I would observe the Sabbath. You know, he would, if he got around Jews, he would, you know, he would seek to connect with them. He's not faking it. He's drawing from his own past experience. He was a Pharisee, zealous in the law. But he missed the point back in that light. So, so now connecting with them under the religion, he could point them to what the law was getting at. Gentiles, those were the ones without the law. Paul says, to, to those without the law, I connected with them on that level. What's that mean? That means to those who haven't been going to church for years, who don't know, you know, don't walk around saying hallelujah, bless God, amen, brother. Those who don't speak that language, they don't know the customs. I'm not going to start off at that point. A lot of Christians need to learn this thing. <laughs> he says, I'm not, I'm not, where'd, where'd my uh, hula hoop go? Yeah, here we go, my hula hoop. You've missed the hula hoop the last few weeks, Ricky. Um, I'm not going to dance, though. But Paul, Paul wasn't expecting them to come inside his circle of what was comfortable to him and what made sense to him. Instead, he would reach out to meet them where they were. And so, so Paul didn't start with with. People in, the, in Rome by saying, you know, Moses in the Old Testament said this. They had no grid for Moses or Abraham or David. He would simply connect with them right where they're at. Finally, he says to the weak, I become weak. That means people with a weak conscience, people that, that are really struggling. Yeah, I'm not quite. Hey, hey, dude, I'll put aside, even though I feel free to do some things, I'm not going to let my freedom get in the way. This would probably be the equivalent of, of nowadays like, like having a beer. You know, I don't have a problem with having a beer. But if I get around somebody who has a problem with it, I'm not going to say, oh, you just need to get free. You need to get in my world. Or, you know, freedom in Christ. I'm not going to make an issue about that. I just, I won't have a beer. If I get around somebody who's a recovering alcoholic, I won't have a beer. Because I love them. And I want them to experience Christ right where they're at. Love trumps personal freedom. Love trumps freedom. Oh, watch out. (laughs) 
how do we make, how do we enter into this? Well, the first thing we see with Paul is being all things to all men was, was drawing things from his own story, his own life experience. So Paul, all those points of connection, those were actually things that he wasn't faking, okay? Those are things that actually came from his story. So being all things to all men is not faking it. It's seeing connection points in your, other, in your own story that connect with people where they're at, okay? Secondly, all things to all men requires that we see ourselves as a work in progress, I used the analogy a few weeks ago. Um, I didn't put up the slide today, but we talked about centered. Uh, we, we talked about bounded set Christianity. Bounded set. It's kind of like the Pharisees. They they had this 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 boundary, and if you talk this way, if you went to the synagogue on these days, if you dress this way, you obeyed these things, you're in the club, right? If you don't do those things, you're outside the circle. And a lot of us tend to do Christianity that way. So to get in it, if you just pray a prayer, you're in. And if you dress a certain way, and if you talk a certain way, if you listen to a certain kind of music, then you're in. The problem with that is that, that we tend to not see our spiritual journey as a journey. We kind of say like, hey, I'm in. I'm going to heaven. Wow, got, glad I got that out of the way. <laughs> The better way to look at it that I said was to look at Jesus as, to, to take away the boundary altogether and look at Jesus as a, as a fixed point and say, am I heading towards Jesus or not? When you start doing that, then all of a sudden you realize you're always in school. You are never finished. It's not just you and me, it's Paul. Paul says this in Philippians 3.12. Now this is Paul. He'd raise people from the dead, healed people, wrote half the, half the New Testament, more than that. And he says this, not that I've obtained all this or have already been made perfect. It's not, not that I've got in the circle and I'm, I'm, I'm just done. He says, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, at this point, being a, a famous Christian author <laughs> with a famous ministry of planting churches and healing people, I've not yet arrived. But yet many of us, we tend to get to a place where we think, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been to Bible studies. I got, a, I got five different Bibles and concordances and all this stuff. I've arrived. I don't need to learn anymore. No. The moment you get that mentality, the moment you cease to connect with other people because you've put a big boundary around it. You can't be all things to all men. You have to consider yourself as still in school. The next thing is we got to view our past through the lens of Jesus. Paul also says something here. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul says, I'm forgetting what's behind. Does that mean that Paul just wanted like kind of holy amnesia? Like at some point, like he'd forget everything he'd done bad in his life. I, don't you wish you could do that sometime? Like, like I'd just be zapped. I have no memory of any bad stuff I've done. That's not what Paul was saying. What Paul is saying is I am now viewing my life, all the good, all the bad, the stuff I did before I met Jesus, the stuff I've did after, I'm viewing it all through the lens of Jesus now through the work of God. And so 
now he's not denying his past. Now, Paul had a past. I mean, think of what Paul might have struggled with. He actually consented to people getting killed, Christians. I mean, he persecuted. He divided families. He hunted people down. Think of the guilt. Can you imagine? I mean, I can imagine some bad stuff in my life, but I never killed anybody yet. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Paul had to live with that. He'd done horrible things, and he thought he was doing them for God. And then he found out he wasn't doing them for God. He was misled. Think of what he had to struggle with. But now he, he forgets... Looking back through the lens of Jesus, now Jesus takes away the shame. He takes away the sting of it. And now that past that he's lived under as someone who was a Pharisee who persecuted, now, guess what? When looking through the lens of Jesus, when considering himself a work in progress, not somebody who's arrived, now he can actually use that past to connect with someone. You know, it was funny. Like, I've mentioned that when I, when I became a Christian, I went from being a drug head to all of a sudden three weeks later, I'm in Bible college and it was a, a quite a bit of a change. <laughs> and it involved, my mom was working at Bible college. So we both had to be on like probation and stuff because they just don't normally let somebody come in who hadn't been in church or anything, you know? And I, all of a sudden I went from being messed up on drugs, going from one broken, screwed up relationship to another, dealing with anger, addictions, jealousy, all this stuff, to all of a sudden I'm at this perfect place where there's everybody wears ties, you got to be clean shaven, you go to chapel every morning, you don't walk on the grass, you talk about, everybody's like, hallelujah, brother, amen, praise the Lord, what's, you know, and within like two months, I learned how to do that. I learned how to fake it. Because the reality is, even though God sent me, you know, I, I quit drugs the moment I, I met Jesus, and he gave me the grace to do that. And so, but you know what the reality is? I had all kinds of struggles going on on the inside. Anger, lust, addiction. It wasn't, and I just learned how to put that stuff down. Why? Because I never encountered any Christians who ever mentioned that they struggled with any of that. You know? Everybody I got around was shiny, happy Christian people who didn't have any problems. And I just felt like I was a loser. So I just pretended. I learned how to say the right things, do the right things, show up to the right places. But that only got me so far. Finally, finally, several years back, I finally got to a place where I just realized I, I can't do this Christianity like this anymore. I, I'm just a fraud, you know? It's like I sincerely want Jesus, but I don't feel like I can ever be honest with anybody about what I'm struggling with. And so I finally got around some people that, that I could, could, could open up my heart to and, 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 and be authentic and, and, and let that out. And, uh, and, and God just started doing amazing things in me. But you know what's funny? In those first years as a Christian, even though God had brought me out of drugs, when I'd see somebody who was struggling with drugs, because I hated myself on the inside, hated, I just, ah, oh, you stupid drug head, why don't you just quit that stuff? You know, why don't you just get over that addiction thing? Come, come across somebody with marriage problems? Ah, why don't you all just get along? You know? Just pat answers. Why don't you just pray more? Read your Bible more? Like me. You know? I, I read a book. We got a book in our, in our bookstore here, our bookshelf. Uh, which, if you, <laughs> which, by the way, if you ever want to buy a book, we don't ever have, have anybody working there. So just 
see me and we'll make sure you get it. But we got a book there called uh, Grace and Addiction by a guy named Gerald May. And I love what he said. I've mentioned it before, but it, it's a, just a powerful idea. Gerald May was a psychiatrist, grew up in a you know, white, middle-class, upper-middle-class home, highly educated, ended up, you know, one of the top guys in his field. But, but he was doing all this work with folks who struggled with addictions. He'd never done drugs. He wasn't an alcoholic. And, and so he starts working with them. And in the middle of working with addicts, he realized, I'm an addict. I have the very same tendencies towards addiction that all these people do. But you know what? His addictions were more favorable in society's eyes. When I read that, I was like, wow. I think that he's got some truth there. See, the reality is, yeah, I stepped away from drug addiction, but I just went into religion addiction. (laughs) You know? I started looking to religion to meet those needs in my life. So as long as I was doing Bible studies and this and this and this and keeping myself busy with that, I felt good about myself. God likes me. But the moment I get into a funk, I need more of that drug. For some of you, it may be shopping. Uh Uh-oh, oh, he's going there. Uh Uh-oh. You know, he is, he is. (laughs) You get into a place where you're feeling feeling kind of depressed or, or, or feeling bad about yourself. And so what do you do? You, you get the credit card and you go out to the mall. You buy some things. Oh, I feel better now. For some of you, it's food. For me, it's fried food. Oh, can I get an amen? <laughs> I know if I'm having a depressing day, you know, sometimes you just look forward to lunch. Like, man, I hate my job. I hate things. Man, if I could just get some a fried shrimp po' boy. Oh, You eat that and you feel better. That's an addictive tendency. Some people it's the internet. Some people it's the radio. You know, I mean, not the radio. Nobody's addicted to radio anymore. Uh. (laughs) What's that? It's like eight tracks. (laughs) Some of you, it's TV. And what, what, what am I getting at? All these things are addictive things. They're things that we run to instead of running to God to deal with stress in our lives. And you know what? Society doesn't look down on watching TV or eating fried food or shopping. Actually, everything in our society is pushing you towards those things all the time. But it's the same tendency that a heroin addict has. It's the same tendency that an alcoholic has. And I began to realize that in my story, viewing my life through the lens of Jesus, you know, when God began to to break down these things, I realized I got no right to point my finger at people that are struggling with, with drugs or people that got marriage problems. I began to see my story through the lens of Jesus and to experience God's grace and mercy in my life. And you know what? It began to change me. And now, even though I never struggled in my drug days with heroin, I can connect with somebody that's addicted to that because I see myself as a person in recovery now. I see myself as somebody that, dude, you put me in the right circumstances, the right things in my life, I'd probably do all kinds of stupid things. I know that... The work that God began in me 16 years ago when I said yes to him, it wasn't, that wasn't the end of it. He, he saved me then, but he's saving me every day. It's a work. It's a continually day-by-day thing. And as I enter into that reality, now I can look back on my life and, and I can see these points where God has done things, where he's taken me through. And now I can use those points as connection points with other people. So if I see somebody who's having marriage problems or relational issues, now I don't just say... Yeah, you just start talking better, you know? 
Start dealing with your stuff together. You know, get over your feelings. Now I can say, dude, I've had marriage problems. <laughs> I got arguments. I've had a few this week. I know, I know where you're at. But let me tell you how God has helped me walk through this. You struggling with addiction? Dude, I know where you're at. I struggled there. I'm still in recovery. I know where you're at. I can connect with you in that place. I think that's what Paul's getting at. Everything, every horrible thing he's done in his life, when viewed through the lens of Jesus, now becomes a place to build a bridge to someone who's broken, to someone who hasn't encountered Jesus. Isn't that the amazing thing about Christ, though? When we, when we get into that journey, he takes all the horrible things, all of it, and he just saturates it with his grace and his mercy, and he begins to, to bring freedom to us. And it's not a self-serving freedom. Yeah, God wants to see you get free from addictions and, and anger and jealousy and lust. He wants to see you, but it, it's not an end in itself. It's not so you can say, ah, I'm in the lust-free club. Yes. So thankful that I don't have, no. <laughs> it's not to make a boundary around yourself and feel proud about how, how good you are now. It's meant so you can just say, wow, let me help you out. Final thing is breaking through the wall of denial. Put that on your, on your uh, outline. And this just ties in with, with all this stuff. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We studied something in a small group this week, which was Matthew, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were absolute scumbags back in Jesus' day. It's, it's not like just the IRS agents. I know most of us don't feel fondly about the IRS. The, it was kind of like the mob. <laughs> you know, these guys were, were pocketing. You know, they were corrupt. They weren't just taking taxes. They were pocketing money. They, they were living large off the suffering of the people of Israel. Matthew, Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. So Matthew said, okay. And he leaves the whole thing. And later, he throws a party, like a big party. And he invites Jesus there. And there's all kinds of messed up people that show up at this party. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus, we thought you were a prophet. We thought you were a wise teacher. Why are you hanging out with these kinds of people? And what does Jesus say to him? He says, it's not for the healthy... It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what is Jesus getting at here? Is he, is he saying that, is he trying to affirm the Pharisees? And oh, No, he's being sarcastic. <laughs> he's saying, I haven't come for you guys who got it all together. I haven't come for you, you who are so righteous, who, who follow everything perfectly, who are in the club. I've not come for you. I've come for them poor, sick sinners. You know, those poor guys over there. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm not here for you guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> See, the Pharisees claim to be without sin, but they have deceived themselves. They claimed that they had arrived, but they were really in deception, and they couldn't see Jesus as God right in front of them because they didn't need him. Matthew 5, 1, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with this one thing. If we can ever get this, it'll change our life. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, what's the poor in spirit? It's the people who know they need God. Blessed are those, because you know what they get? They get the kingdom. Blessed are you when you know you need God. 
when you know that there's no good that dwells in me. I can't make this Christianity work with all my good efforts and all my striving and all my Bible studies. and I can't make it work. Apart from the Holy Spirit indwelling my heart, I'm a mess. You keep that attitude, it'll change your life. And it'll change those around you. See, I think rather than learning to hide, learning to cover up our struggles, what Paul's getting at is I can be authentic, I can be real, I can be real about my struggles. You know, I, I meet up here every Tuesday with, with a, two or three other guys, and, and a lot of times all we're doing, and we're not studying the Bible or anything, we're just kind of sharing what our struggles are, and we're praying for one another. And that's, that's the thing I need in my life. Just to be able, because I spent so many years of my Christianity just hiding stuff that I struggled with. Because I didn't want people to look down on me. I think what Paul's getting at here is, is we admit we have issues. We take that wall of denial down and we connect with other people in that. And the grace of God comes down upon our lives and it comes down upon others. We can become all things to all men. So why don't you stand up, and I'll close this with a word of prayer here. And I just want to say that if, if any of you would like some prayer afterwards, uh, we'll be glad to pray with you, talk to you. Um, let me just close this with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we are so humbled by your love for us. God, we, we just can't fathom how deep, how high, how wide your love is for us. God, you didn't love us in words only, but you loved us by meeting us in our shame, in our pain, in our isolation, in our alienation, in our addiction, in our brokenness, God. Lord, today we just... We just tell you, God, we are, we're students. We hadn't figured this thing out. We hadn't arrived, God, but we just submit ourselves to the journey today with you. God, forgive us for the places where we've just let our hearts grow cold and arrogant and proudful, prideful, God. Lord, we just ask for you to reveal to us in the, in the coming week, God, Lord, that we where we can connect with others, God, in the work that you've done in our lives. And God, for those here this morning that just are carrying shame around, Lord, uh, for their past, Lord, God, for bad things they did, God, I just pray that, that you would heal their eyes and they could see that through you, Lord. I just pray for your grace to overwhelm folks. God, let us know that we are loved without boundaries. And let us be that same kind of love to others. We just ask you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit right now, God, your Holy Spirit. God, we say that only you can live this life. Live your life through us. Live your life through us this week, God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, if you need any prayer, we'd be glad to pray with you this morning. Um, 
If you needed any coffee, we still have some of that. God bless y'all, and um, see you next Sunday.